you're rocking the, the jet green right now. Adam Sandler. Right. Number one, you were Rich Eisen. The second movie, I see Brad Hirschberg <laughs> being your father. Dennis Miller. The autumn wind is caused by global warming. <laughs> Uh, a legend in the booth, Jim Brockmeyer. I do love watching Tebow play. I mm-hmm. gotta say, he just he combines all the fiery leadership of Ray Lewis with the uh, with the throwing ability of Ray Lewis. <laughs> and uh... I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, getting set to head to Indianapolis for the 2012 NFL Scouting Combine. I am your humble host, Rich Eisen. I've got my podcast producers, Chris Law and Chris Brockman, right by my side right now. One of you is coming to Indianapolis with me. That is that would be me, that Rich. Was you, that would you, be, Chris Law. Chris Law. Once again, I'm 0 for 2 on the indie trips. Yes, but you are. But you have got the, consolation mo- the mother of all consolation prizes. You Chris know, Rich, Brockman. I'm a team player, so whatever the assignment is, I'm going to strap on my boots. Or at least the, your cummerbund my in this cummerbund situation. My cummerbund in this situation. You are going, strap. You're going to the Academy Awards red carpet for this podcast, are you not? That is a fact. It's kind of all came together a little last minute, and we, uh, we made it happen. <laughs> we did make it happen. You know, we had this idea like a month ago or so. But it's, it was too late to get... Uh, a little too late. We thought it would be funny to have Jim Mora interview the celebs on the on the red carpet. Who's on this podcast. Instead, Jim is just going to phone in later on on this show to give us his Oscar picks, same as last year. It's sort of like a, um, a tradition. Absolutely. Unlike any other. Nice. Um, you know, some people think of the green jacket. I think of the pre-combine Rich Eisen podcast. Last year we had Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov uh, phone in. He speaker phoned me. That was the first time he came. He came. Remember, he speaker phoned me. Uh, we he called in because I, I, I'd love to get you, the listener, uh, an idea, a concept as to what goes into the preparation of the NFL scouting combine and what you are seeing at home. How does a talent evaluator view it? And what does the talent evaluator do with this information? It's all of what we do here. We want to give you portable quality nuggets to make you a smart, yeah, access Access. to make you a smarter viewer of the combine, to make you more knowledgeable as an NFL fan. True. If you're just tuning into the combine, you just see guys in tight shorts running around. You don't really know kind of what people are looking at. Right. And also, you know, last year, Thomas Dimitrov made the biggest move in the draft, 21 spots up to go grab Julio Jones. Did he have an idea going into the combine that Julio Jones was going to be his guy? Or did he? Or did they already have a plan? Listen, we're going to take this kid wherever he is. Or did they say, you know what? Uh, we like him. What? Let, let me see him at the combine. Right. I mean, how do these things work? And um, I want to, I that's what I want to ask him, you know? And also, wh- what is he doing uh, to prepare? And... And and how many you know, how many uh, Indians does this chief have? You know, for the lack of a better phrase, to figure out um, who to evaluate and what, and also free agencies right 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 after it. So it's really condensed. And last year he came out of a meeting with Arthur Blank, and apparently it's the same thing this time. Yeah, we we had him up. We, we had him on, and he's in a meeting, so we're going to get him a little later. Okay, he'll, he'll be ready. Yeah. Thomas Dimitrov, fresh out of a meeting with the with the head cheese. Uh, this is going to be fun. And then and then in between, um, 
Thomas and Jim Mora, who I also want to ask about Peyton, what Manning, Peyton Manning was like at the combine, because he had the same choice that that uh, Jim Irsay and and Grigson in Indianapolis have right now. First overall pick, two quarterbacks from which to choose. There's one kid that everybody thinks is head and shoulders above the rest. I'm not saying RG3 is the Ryan Leaf in this equation, but he is the other one. And, you know, as we talked with Charles Davis on our first podcast this week, you and I, we all know there's going to be some point in the valuation process where everyone's saying, oh, the Colts are taking RG3. Luck's taking a step back. He should have thrown at the combine. He should have blah, 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 blah. That, that's rep- that report is definitely that's coming. coming out. I can't wait for that clip and save. And 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 uh, Charles pegged it between the combine and the pro day of of, of uh, March twenty second. Yeah. You we th- we're going to definitely have a podcast between now and then. Say ah, we were right. Yeah. It's coming. And at any rate, um, uh, we're going to talk about that with Jim. And before we do, and after Thomas Dimitrov, Coach Bill Courtney. A lot of people may not know who this football coach is. They will shortly, I'm sure. If but. you have seen the Oscar-nominated documentary Undefeated, you know darn well who this guy is. He is a uh, football thousand point of light, let's be honest. He is a beacon uh, in his North Memphis, Tennessee community. And uh, as coach of the Manassas Tigers of the North Memphis High School, uh, Manassas High School, um, he... He moved mountains. He wouldn't, you know. He won't say that, but what he has done is he's through football saved some lives, changed some lives, and the stories are documented in this documentary, uh, undefeated. And I can't wait to have him. We're getting to one of the directors yeah, on Dan, too. Dan Lindsay, the director, is uh, is with him as well. So there's uh, they they engulfed themselves in Memphis for nine months and shot this documentary and. Uh, I was blown away there when was I some, saw there it. Was some, I was too. Let me tell you, there were some moments where I, I got, I, I choked up. Me too. Definitely. Definitely. I choked up. I mean, I don't want to give any some of these moments away, but holy smokes. I watched it on the flight to Indy for Super Bowl, and uh, I, I had to like, I had to like, st- I had to look around and make sure no one was watching me to make sure I wasn't crying at a documentary. No, I know. But it was good. What did you say on the previous podcast? Hoop Dreams meets Friday Night Lights. Hoop Dreams basically. meets Friday Night Lights. It, it kind of captured it all for me. You know, a lot of these kids don't have much and don't have anything. Forget about m- much would be an improvement, right? And um, you know, it's awesome. Fathers aren't around, and this guy was. Well, and was and the challenge them. for this conversation, in my estimation, is a lot of you folks who are listening right now will not know who this guy is. And Undefeated is not one of those widely released films, so it may not be in a theater near you. I think it was released last week in L.A. and New York. You know what I mean? So you're going to have to seek it out. Um, There is a wider release in March. Uh, Well, my my challenge, I think, here is to to talk philosophy with this, this coach and and how he does what he does, why he does what he does. Volunteer coach. Volunteer. With four kids. With four kids and a business. And a business. And he... He takes out an, an inordinate amount of his personal time for these kids who repay him with nothing but grief most of the time, too. I couldn't I imagine. I mean, nothing but grief. You know, as we're taping this podcast right now, my three-and-a-half-year-old is blown off his nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's that's weighing heavily on me right now. He's got a cold, Right. Talk about not even close. I have to go get fitted for a tux. You some, do have to get so. fitted for a tux. And let's hit. Let's. You want to hit on that right now? Yeah. Or, yeah. We haven't mentioned it yet. We we teased at the end of the podcast who 
who Chris Brockman is going to have as his correspondent, who this podcast, through your hard work, Chris Law. Yes, thank and you. And I also think the brand name, the br- the that, brand this, name. that this podcast brandishes. Uh, uh, as, who, who have we landed we, as the we correspondent? We have a, a former Super Bowl champion, a former Super Bowl MVP, Ooh. Uh, a mirror ball trophy winning, dancing with the stars champion, Heinz, Heinz Ward, Ward is gonna, going to be... Heinz Ward, Our correspondent at the Oscars for the Rich Eisen. Podcast. How about that? Are you all right? That is a Patriot fan going to be How able to? Is going to be able to? Well, is, is is Glenn Close bringing men closer together? If you will, Glenn bringing Glenn closer together. Patriot and and, and Steeler. Heinz and I are going to bond. You'll bond, and then because uh, you're going to have time. I mean, there's going to be a, there's a lot of downtime. Lots of time. Just elbow Seacrest right out of there. Anytime Seacrest so comes in, you have now the academy. Yes. Who? Requires re, the academy requires all personnel behind the camera to yeah. wear a tuxedo. Is yeah. that a true story? Yeah, Brockman has to wear a tux. Our camera guy has to wear a tux. Our audio engineer has to wear a tux. Everyone has to be in a tux. Everybody has to. And do we and, have suggestions on what I what kind of tux I should go you with? You do not own a tuxedo. I do not own a tuxedo. You are I, going to. I have to go rent one. I think you should do sort of the uh, Back to the Future uh, light blue. What do you think? Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber light blue. Top hat and cane. That, what do you think? That, uh, that would be great. Dude, just go straight black. Straight black. You're going to go long tie, bow tie? I'm going to go long tie. Long tie. Long Cumberbund? Tie. Cumberbund? We'll see. Hmm. Depends what he had. I went red bow tie and red Cumberbund for my prom. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm impressed you remember that. Oh, dude. I had a gold vest, I think, and gold or something. I had some gold in my Yeah, body. I did I did I did have a uh a gold vest uh for my first ever uh co hosting of the SB pre show with Stuart Scott that my current wife, then quote unquote just friend begged me not to wear. <laughs> But she was just a friend. Right. Didn't want to upgrade. I was like, listen, if you're just a friend, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 please. Right. If you want to upgrade here, you can start telling me what to wear. She has since upgraded, provided me with two children, one of which is not currently napping. She now she's <laughs> she, she now tells me all the time of what what I should wear and what I should not wear. If anyone but, out there wants to tweet at me, Chris hey, underscore Brockman. Yes. Let's have a fan. Let's have a fan. I will take suggestions on what I should get for a tuxedo. But wait a minute. This 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 is posting Thursday. We don't want to leave you with just two days, man. That's I true. I mean, we don't want to leave you with just two days. That's true. Well, no, here's what we do. Or how we're, about this? Here's, no, here's the thing. Okay. Uh, we're posting this Thursday, but immediately we take to Twitter, right? At the Eisen Podcast. At Chris... Underscore Brockman, B-R-O-C-K-M-A-N, requires some fashion tips on what type of tuxedo. I think, here's my thing. I won't, I won't even tweet it. Three button, three button. long tie. Long, I, was, I was thinking long tie. Three button, long tie, because if you go, you, definitely, no, no way do you do, uh, what do we The tails or the, oh, no, the, oh, the double breasted. Don't double breasted. No. No tails. No, no, you're not getting married for crying out no, loud. No, of course not. Um, unless Rooney Mara is going to get proposed to on the red carpet. Who are you fired up to see? Let's be honest here. Oh, man. Come on, bro. Who are you fired up to see? Clooney. And, bro. For sure. Nah, I'm going woman. Man crush. Man, I mean, man, Clooney, I mean, man crush. Clooney, 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 I think Clooney is one of the few 
actors strolling down that carpet who will know who Heinz Ward is. Oh, on no site, doubt. On site. No doubt. I, I, I think you know, because there are some actors who just will have no idea, even know how famous Heinz is on dancing and uh, football. Clooney will know exactly who he is. 100%. So Brad Pitt, by the way, who might bring Angelina with him? Bro, come on. Come on. <sighs> Don't get too emotional about it. Who else Who else are you fired up for? Uh, this is going to be good. Don't uh, think too hard about it. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who do you got the Who do you got the crush on? I, I tell you what. I'm still a big Halle Berry fan. There you go. Can't go wrong. With still that. a big Halle go. Berry. There fan. you go. All right. She might. She should be there. I would have met a former winner. She should be there. She right? should be. Good lord, best actress right there. So you, Heinz Ward, and a tuxedo. Fantastic. Should we run the forty on the red carpet? That's what you should do. <laughs> yeah. Run, Chris. Run. All right, so uh, this is going to be a fun one because this is a, you know, that's what this show is about: hardcore football when we can, pop culture fun, when we can, we're having fun when we can. Oscar too. Sunday coincides with Combine Sunday. It's all in one thing, and we've got a big party. We're going to talk about that too. Absolutely. Have you have you been? You've not been. It's your first Combine. My first. No, it's right. my second Combine. I didn't go. I was working late last year. All right, so Combine Sunday, Oscar. We have an Oscar party. And we do have to have to give a big shout out to the Academy who got us in very late. Uh, to Look the party. at Chris Law so, working. Look, wait a minute. He just gave out a shout out to the Academy of Arts and Sciences. Didn't, th- didn't think that this, was going to happen when you were at Penn State. The Look hour at that. that this came Look down. at Chris. So, He's all grown up. I know. Look out. Man handles business. And by the way, that's not him dropping names. Literally, no. the Academy deserves a thank you, <laughs> right. major, because th- we asked late. We asked uh, late, and and they were beyond gracious to find us a spot. Very gracious. We're sending we're sending a, a big movie buff in Heinz Ward to the to the red. I'm carpet. really curious who I'm going to be next to. There you go on the carpet. Could be Maria Menounos, fellow Patriot fan. Fellow Patriot fan. Look out! Just that laugh though. Just don't let her laugh. <laughs> let me tell you what. God, I, I, uh, <laughs> you've heard her laugh, right? I'm not, dude. I think I could get past that. Yeah, you yeah. just went up even further in my wife's book <laughs> with that comment right there. All right, let's get to it. Let's talk combine with the GM of the Atlanta Falcons. It's a tradition unlike any other. Some might think of the Masters. I think it's the Rich Eisen podcast before the combine, getting one of the top general managers in the game on to tell us what to expect or what general managers are expecting of the combine and what it's like to be a talent evaluator to go through this, put you in the shoes of somebody right in the middle of the action. And as he did last year for this podcast, he is doing it again. Joining us on Falcons Cam, Thomas Dimitrov of the Atlanta Falcons. How are you, Thomas? Rich, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I even put this uh, fuchsia <laughs> shirt on. For you. I got to tell you, I know you're very, you're very confident in your decisions. Obviously, you, you proved that last year by trading up for Julio Jones. You saw an opportunity, you took it. I assume it's the same thing with the fuchsia shirt. That's what I assume. You know what? I figure we all have to be comfortable in our being. Yes. And, uh, I thought for you, I wanted to be exactly where I needed to be, and that was <laughs> confident with my uh, with my fashion choices. No, I know that you're probably the only general manager in the league who's laid out his clothes for the combine two days before actually leaving for it. I bet. No, I don't do that, but I but okay. I do pack up. I roll well, so, so I can fit everything <laughs> into my do. suitcase. That you do. Uh, you just sat down in this chair on Falcons Cam, fresh out of a meeting with the boss. Correct? Is that true? That's correct. We had uh, we had some free agent meetings, uh, very in depth free agent meetings, as you can imagine, with our owner and our head coach and our personnel department. 
Uh, our new um, director of player personnel, Dave Caldwell, who we just named uh, upon Les uh, Sneed's departure to St. Louis. So uh, we're, we're rocking and rolling. We're, we, we've gotten things in place quickly. Take me into a meeting with Arthur Blank. What's that like where you're, 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 you're mapping out for him what you have, uh, I guess, planned or at least a, a course of action that you obviously will need to uh, alter as other events take place. But what is that like getting into a meeting with Arthur Blank? Well, I, you know, Arthur's very, you know, he's very in tune with what's going on in the league. He's He's been great with uh, myself and Mike Smith since we've been here in 2008. He's been very mindful of, uh, you know, the proverbial line. And we have some great discussions about personnel and about direction of the team. And he likes to sit back and, and, and listen to listen to us talk about the free agents, listen to the coaches talk about the free agents as it pertains to fitting in with our team, uh, the changes in our team, the, the, the potential changes in our, our personnel. And what we do is we provide him with the list that we'll be discussing as well as, you know, certain reports that he could come into the meeting prepared. Because, as you know, a uh, co-founder of Home Depot would be very, very prepared coming into a meeting. Yes. And so we make sure we provide him with everything he needs, Richard. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it was interesting. He came in. The very first thing he said, he looked around with this very serious look and he said, OK, so there are um, hundreds and hundreds of free agents in this year's uh, free agency class. How in the world have you narrowed it down to X amount that we're going to be talking about today? And, and I was trying to come up with a, uh, an elevator speech to get to the point, and I babbled a little bit because I didn't know exactly how we did it because we've been working very, very hard at putting this list together. Yeah, I'd imagine that that takes up a, a large amount of your time. How much uh, does your scouting department uh, and, and their reports on the kids you're going to see at the Combine this week play into who you're going to be looking for in free agency how do the pieces all fit thomas right when we come in we're we obviously have been doing all of our work through the whole scouting season on our on our college players and college prospects we have a very good feel of where the board is is right now we've had two um very significant draft meetings so far to stack our board we're not finished with our stack but we have a really good idea of where we are with the prospects then we take all of the free agents that we may be interested in and as you can imagine we have to think about the money involved with the potential free agents we're going to be acquiring, the, the health and well-being of those the potential free agents, as, as well as, you know, signing our own players and who we may or may not be able to re-sign here. So there are a lot of moving parts when we come up with this list. And in the end, we, we are always comparing what's out there in the draft with what we may acquire in free agency. And it's, to me, it's a, it's a very useful way of approaching, uh, you know, our, our acquisition. And speaking of moving parts, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing all of this evaluating and, and, and collaborating with, with your staff. Stop me if I'm wrong. At the same time, your defensive coordinator is now Auburn's defensive coordinator. Your offensive coordinator is now the head coach of Jacksonville. The quarterback's coach is now the head coach of Jacksonville's offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. Your offensive line coach and DB assistant uh, changed. And your director of player personnel is currently the general manager of the Rams. Am I correct in all that? My goodness, that's enervating listening to. I can only imagine being a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, how do you how do you do all this at once, Tom? Yeah, I know. I mean, it, this is we set out at the end of the season, and, and I don't know. You probably didn't get a chance to see our postseason presser, but we discussed that we were not going to make small tweaks. That there were going to be some legitimate changes in 
you know, in this organization, and there have been, obviously, and we haven't even begun to uh, um, dig into the, the signing and the re-signing of the majority of the 17 unrestricted free agents that we do, in fact, have. So there's plenty more to come. Uh, we're, we're, not a, we're not a sit-still type of organization. We've always been very aggressive with what we believe needs to be done, um, some of our own volition and others, uh, you know, by way of, you know, uh, very fortunately for Mike Malarkey getting a head coaching job and Brian Van Gorder getting a very significant job in the NCAA where he ideally wants to be. So we're in a, we feel we're in a really good spot with our new hires, equally excited with our hires with Dirk Cutter as our offensive coordinator and, and obviously Mike Nolan as our defensive coordinator, adept coordinators, very good minds, and I think they're going to be a nice, uh, a fresh addition to this team. Before we dive a little bit further into Atlanta, I want to get some more into the nuts and bolts of the combine and how someone in your position gets ready or uh, and, and what he does with the information gained uh, in Indianapolis at the combine. At this point last year, where was Julio Jones on your radar screen? At this point in the draft, he was he was very significantly placed very high on our draft board. Let's just put it that way. He and, and A.J. Green were right up there towards the top of the board uh, with a number of other very talented football players. But we, we had him earmarked, and we were very focused on um, – Seeing how he performed at the combine and moved around, you know, up front and personal, uh, again, in shorts, understanding, but we weren't concerned about his competitiveness. We really wanted to see what he ran, how he operated with his, his foot at the time, and, and get a chance to, to visit with him. So basically, a combine is not a surprise for you. I mean, you, you, you've, already, you've already identified who you really like or potentially have put the dreaded dot next to that you have no desire to be interested in this person going into the combine. This is already mapped out heading into Indy. We, we usually going into the combine, Rich, are, Rich are really are, uh, we have our, our board stacked uh, to a point. Obviously, it's, it's not cast in stone. We firmly believe, and I firmly, firmly believe philosophically, you don't go to the combine and grade someone up drastically or mark them down drastically. That we earmark people off the combine, and we highlight people that we may need to revisit. Uh, but I think we, we keep it in perspective that this, this is, these are players that are in shorts and in workout gear. I don't believe it's just a, a matter of gymnastics. I believe it, it really indicates the true athleticism of these players, which I'm big on. I think it's a very good gauge on a, on a player's body control, movement, stop-start ability, whatever it may be. I don't care if it's an offensive lineman or a, or a, or a defensive corner or a safety or a quarterback. It's valuable going to the combine to see them move around. That said, in the very end, it comes back to the production on the field during the season, and there's no getting around that for us. Have you – so – just again, using Jones as an example, because you made the biggest draft move last year to jump up uh, in the first round to go get him. Um, his performance at the combine, did you did you look at your your staff at that point and say, all right, well, this is confirmed? Or, or did you still need to see a little bit more out of him, certainly knowing what the medical might be? Well, I think that, you know, we needed to continue to track the medical, but after watching the combine, watching him run routes, again, juxtaposing him versus some of the best athletes um, in the country, we determined coming out of that, out of that um, uh, exercise that he was one of, if not the top receiver in the draft, and we were very, very comfortable knowing that we were going to continue to target him. Um, injury issues aside, uh, we knew that from a, the standpoint of physicality and athleticism and movement, ability to catch the ball, ability to be an explosive playmaker, that we were... 
well, we were so coveting that we thought that this guy was fitting the bill for us. Take me into your meeting room when you have uh, meetings with the prospects at night in the in the Crown Plaza in uh, Indianapolis. Kid walks into the room. Who does he see? Who's in there? Well, he, he sees he'll see uh, for some of these he'll see Arthur Blank, uh, the 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 uh, players that we really need Arthur to, you know, feel comfortable with from a standpoint of an ownership. Um, view, I think that's important. He really gets a kick out of being in there and, and you know spending some time and listening to our players, our prospective players. Uh, we he will see myself, obviously, Coach Smith, our coordinator. He'll see our personnel directors and, and Dave Caldwell, Lionel Vitel. He'll also see um, one of our our psychologists that would be in there uh, through the process. So we keep it. Um, we keep it rather relaxing. We, we try not to make it too rigid and, and too interrogative. We don't you know, line everyone up staring at this, this player and, and hurl, uh, I was going to say hurl invective. We don't do that either. We no, don't but it's not, an inqu- it's not an inquisition is basically what you're, uh, you're, you're sort of getting at, I'd imagine. No, I, I, you know, Rich, it's funny because over the years, for 20-plus years in this business, I've been in interview rooms where it has been kind of tough. And you create an atmosphere that the, the kids honestly don't really want to share all the information, and they don't definitely want to share it candidly because there's a rigidity about it. So our 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 approach is to make it very living room like. We set it up like a living room. We don't set it up with tables and and the the, the cold decor of maybe a, a Rich Eisen office. We set it yeah, more up course. to be living room. Yeah, chips and salsa. Is that what you're saying? I mean, is that what you provide? <laughs> you provide a light snack. We do. We provide snacks and drinks and, and wow. uh, drinks, not alcoholic. Of course not. But, but uh, what do we have? G two, whatever our Gatorade product. <laughs> I'm trying to be right. brand brand uh, uh, Spec- uh, yeah, responsible. You, yes, you are. You're you're a good company player right there. So, but what yeah. are you looking to hear out of the kids then? Uh, then then what is the, what is this relaxed environment all geared to uh, ascertain by the end of the conversation for you? You know, interestingly enough, our approach is. is different for for each player obviously because there are certain players that come in that we actually have the the dreaded dot beside and there may be a dot plus in our mind which means that we would consider him a little bit more than just a straight up uh heavy dot that we have attached to certain players that may have character questions that we may need to dig into so we make it relaxing so we can go into those question questions again now, understand that may be somewhat interrogative, but it, but I think for us, we want to make sure that the player feels as comfortable as possible talking about it. When we don't have character issues, when we just want to get to know the players, that's where I think the relax you know the relaxing atmosphere really helps us. And and I think again, we have lists of questions for every player. We've already dug you know drilled down on these players prior to coming in. And we throw it out up for discussion. As well, we do get these players on the on the uh, grease board for a while and talk a little bit of football, um, and that leads into what we will do in the spring when we go out in March. Now, word is Thomas that you, you the Falcons lead the league in in dots on players. <laughs> would you, how would you respond to that? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily uh, true. I think we all have um, our definition of what of what that dot is, and, and you know the, the skull and crossbones or whatever people may refer to it as. <laughs> right. I think I think we we are we're particular. We're very particular about our locker room. We're particular about the chemistry. I've said this time and again. We're not about angelic souls. This this is about more the team approach. We want to make sure the guys that we come that we bring in come into our organization and, and fit in with the group that we have. So that's more our focus. Than you know, throwing on a, a skull and crossbones on a player who we think 
um, has you know uh, criminal activity in his background or you know something else that may you know uh, substance in his background. This is more about making sure that we have the right fit for our organization. You know, obviously, many teams have gone through uh, issues with players and character issues, but n- none more famously, obviously, than your organization and Arthur Blank um, with uh, Michael Vick a few years ago. How much did all of that, how much does all of that still play into your evaluation on dotting players or not? Well, there's no question. When I came in in 2008 and and Mike Smith and I sat down at the outset of the season or in the building part of the season, we knew, and Arthur was very clear with me, we need to clean up some things in Atlanta. Perception, we need to clean up from from a number of different uh, as, uh, approaches and, and aspects of our organization. And, and part of that was on the acquisition side and, and, and the roster building side. And we needed to make sure, again, that we had the right fit where we could have good people um, uh, compliant with our approach good out in the community, representative of the Atlanta Falcons. So we set out to be you know, quite stringent in our approach in 2008. I'm not saying that we've, we've um, altered our approach at all coming into 2012. I will say that as we settle in more and more, we understand that as you get the locker room closer to where you want it to be, and we feel we have, then I believe you're always able to consider – um, you know, an individual that you may not have considered back when you're starting, you know, to kick something off and to try to, to clean an organization up, so to speak. So uh, one last question on the combine. What do you do with this information? Let, let a fan know once you've compiled all this stuff, you've done all the interviews, you've seen the players who I assume you've, again, you, you've targeted areas of need already, free agency, as well as a draft. What do you do? with all this information as the free agent extravaganza starts within mere days of you leaving Indianapolis? Well, when we leave Indianapolis, we'll have taken all the consideration of all the players that we've actually viewed on the field and we've interviewed. We take all that information and uh, we we throw it into our our proverbial think tank and we, we have some serious discussions about X, Y, and Z player as they compare not only skill-wise to the free agent market, but also from a character standpoint and a team-building standpoint. I think it's very, very important. It's a, to, for me, I feel it to be a very, um, very um, extensive process to try to work through all that we've learned during the combine and all that we've learned during our, our research on the free agency side um, and looking and f- tracking these players during the entire season and then, you know, going out and doing further research in March, which is a very, very big part. And I mentioned this last year to you, Rich. A very big part of our process is, is our spring scouting. And, and we're very fortunate to have an owner that, that um, provides us with the opportunity to use his plane to go out and hit three and potentially four schools in one day. We, we get a lot done during March to supplement everything else that we've, all the other information that we've, uh, we've gathered over the, the last few months in the in- entire season. Now, a couple questions about the Falcons before I, I let you go back to uh, your ceaseless meetings I'm sure that you're having to get ready for the combine. Um, again, famously, you, you, you leaps up uh, Several spots, 20 spots to go get Julio Jones in the draft. And a lot of people thought that's what you need to do to keep up with the firepower of the Saints within your division and the Packers within your conference. You make the playoffs, but not a single offensive point goes on the board, Thomas. Do you sit there as a general manager and say, we need to go back to the drawing board, or do you just take a breath and say, this is just year one of that plan, 
I believe in the plan, and we're moving forward. How do you handle what happened in the playoffs moving forward as a guy who's got to think long term? Well, there's, there's no question that, that, that I personally, and I know Mike Smith and, and our owner and, and Arthur Blank are very, very competitive. And we have high expectations, had high expectations, and will continue to have high expectations for this offense. And, you know, from, from Tony Gonzalez to Matt Ryan to Michael Turner to Julio Jones and obviously Roddy White, we think there's no question we should have scored points in a playoff game. That, that was, that was a, a disappointing, uh, a very disappointing part of the offseason, or excuse me, the, the, the postseason. And, and we're not going back to the dra- drawing board. We feel we have a very good foundation here. We need to continue to build on, on, uh, on both sides of the line as well. We need to continue to build in our, in our girth and our, our um, stoutness on this team, which we feel comfortable we can do. We feel like we have, you know, again, the foundation that we can continue to build upon. And um, I think we will not be going into this draft ruining any draft parties by moving up 21 spots. <laughs> I think we'll be, we'll be quite satisfied where we are. Uh, another note on that very quickly, Rich. Sure. People ask often, how, how are you going to plan differently going into the draft without a first-round uh, first pick? And, and as you know, we've been planning for that all offseason for basically a year leading up to this point. That's been our gauge and our approach throughout all of the offseason and all of the in-season scouting to know that we are really focused on what we deem as prospective prospects uh, you know, in that 55 mark, uh, you know, our, our pick in the second round and on through the rest of the draft. And I, I do know you have to go, but I do want to ask this last question because uh, the word elite was thrown around with quarterbacks left and right, up and down because of Eli Manning. And your quarterback, Matt Ryan, uh, a much ballyhooed quarterback, and he has shown flashes of brilliance and more than that, actually. Um, do you consider Matt Ryan an elite quarterback, Thomas? You know, there's there's no question in my mind that Matt Ryan is is definitely in the top ten quarterbacks in this league. I'm not one that wants to throw around the the word elite because I think it's unfair to to certain players when you start comparing quarterbacks and try to determine is that elite category in the top ten, is that elite category in the top five. My feeling is Matt is is a very accomplished quarterback and continues to get better with each season. He's a very driven and competitive guy, and I know that he he continues to be, you know, the, the guy that puts more pressure on himself than anyone else in the organization as well as you know in the fan base. So, I'm very very happy with where Matt is, and I want him to continue to grow as he wants to grow, and I think that will happen in our organization. I really appreciate you doing this, Thomas. An all day meeting with Arthur Blank. Lord knows where you're heading after this. Um, certainly by that fuchsia shirt, you're definitely not going clubbing. I know that. You're, you're going back to work. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's a busy, busy time of year. Um, it's just excellent insight for fans who are just wanting to know how, how this sort of thing is done, and I really appreciate you doing that. Well, Rich, I appreciate you having me on, and I, you know, I had to go out and we had to buy a new headset because I knew you, you didn't want me to be on a speakerphone. No. We were still carrying that with us. So. Yeah, I know. That's why I got you on Falcons, Cam, because although you could have Charlie's Angels me and just put a speakerphone in the chair and spoken <laughs> through the speakerphone, you know, you could, you could have done, you could have Bosley'd me to use the phrase, but I'm That's glad good. you didn't. You didn't big time me, Thomas. I appreciate that. I, I never would. Not someone of your, your stature in society. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm elite. I'm an elite broadcaster. You know what I mean? You are elite. I don't mind throwing that word around with me, but, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. Thank you so much. You bet. Appreciate That's me. Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, giving us some of his valuable time before a big, big-time event in the Combine, joining me here on the podcast. 
here on this podcast and obviously at NFL Media Group and NFL Network, we're constantly caught up in what the NFL is all about, winning, losing, who's to blame, who is skyrocketing to fame and things of that nature, and uh, who should make the Hall of Fame, who gets snubbed. I mean, that's basically what we talk about in the NFL all the time. And then there's uh, the side of football that saves lives, that means so much to so many people who will never touch the NFL in their lives. It is remarkable when you think it's it's the same sport. It's the same ball. It's the same concept of teamwork and, and sacrifice, but it's just uh, in a different place, a different level. And to that respect, there's a superb film called Undefeated. It is uh, a documentary about the Manassas Tigers in North Memphis High School. Um, and, uh, it is nominated for an Oscar. And part of the reason why it is, is because the story that is told and the lives that are saved and the lives that are made and the lives that are, uh, put on display for all of us to, uh, be shocked by, be awed by, be impressed with and, and emotionally, uh, involved, uh, and following. And the reason why it is nominated in that respect, the reason why the Manassas Tigers were uh, quite a story and of interest and uh, rooting for is, is my guest here on the podcast, the coach of that team, Bill Courtney. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. How Thanks are you, Coach? Me. I'm doing all right. I, I guess I should call you the, the former coach of the Manassas Tigers, right? Yeah, the, the film was my last year at Manassas. At, right. Moved on. Now, I guess for, for somebody who has maybe not heard of this film or not yet seen it, uh, the first scene of it, and I'm not telling any tales out of school, is essentially you going through some of the trials and tribulations that you as a coach have had to endure with this team. And it was a great way to start the film because it opens your eyes as to what was going on with this team. Can you recount for some of us some of the issues that, that you had uh, with Manassas and your, and your, and your team? Well, I mean, it's, it's, the, the neighborhood is, is, um, suffers in abject poverty. And all, all of the, the cliches that you hear and think about when you talk about the inner city do really exist. Um, not many fathers in the household, lots of, um, lots of very young Edwin mothers, lots of grandmothers and aunties raising kids and um, doing the very best they can with what they have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by and large, uh, the kids just kind of gr grow old. They don't really grow up, you know, and um, – so, you know, you, you enter into an environment that um, the, the basic tenets and fundamentals of, of what a young man should be are um, deficient. And um, consequently, you get kids getting shot. You get gang beatings. You get kids getting arrested. And, um, and, and these are kids who outside of those issues in a one-on-one -on -one situation are screaming for discipline and love and nurturing and have an enormous amount of good in them. And they're just lonely and sad and hurt and they act out. And in that environment, you know, a temper tantrum can manifest itself in someone getting shot and going to jail. And, um, a, a lot of that happened. And there was a, a again, I'm, I'm going to, try and conduct this interview without giving away too much of the film. Okay. But there was a a moment in the film that really hit me. I guess it was the first win that your your team had in the season is you want to go across the field to shake the coach's hand and the local police 
stepped in. Yeah, there, right, and prevented. There was you. a there was a lot of banner back. And that's that's a crosstown rival that Manassas had never beaten, and um, those kids know each other intimately across neighborhoods. And you know, there's a lot of banner and texting and whatever kids do back and forth. That that you know, there was regardless how the game turned out, there was going to it was on afterwards. And um, you know, it's kind of funny to hear um, the suburban teams play we ready before games mm-hmm. because we ready is not a song its root is is an inner city abonics phrase for you're going to get in my face bring it on we ready and that's what was going on <laughs> right. the whole week before that game is everybody was ready and so the the police wouldn't even allow us to get close to each other after the games and i was very concerned about it one I didn't want anybody to get hurt, but from a coaching standpoint in the in the state of Tennessee, if you get thrown out of a game for fighting, you're suspended for two games. So if you know if twenty of the kids got in a fight, right, you know, and have a team to play the next two weeks. And so it's just from a coaching standpoint, from a mentoring standpoint, all kinds of things, it was probably a good decision on the police's on the on the on the police's part not to let us shake hands. And I saw how you in the final throws of that game went to everybody's keep your keep your chimp straps on, do not do anything stupid, do We've not been take bottled a knee. and rocked before in that neighborhood. <laughs> and right. um fortunately nobody ever got hurt, maybe a window broken out of a bus or something. But it you know, that was a emotionally charged game that we were well, you'll have to see the movie to understand how it comes out. But I mean it was there was just an enormous amount of emotion leading up to that game for a week. There was an enormous amount of emotion in that game. I kind of, I kind of prepped the team for that game in terms of you know it's almost a good versus evil kind of thing. We're trying to do things the right way. I didn't think they did things the right way, and you know, in the end, our we're pretty matched up physically. Uh, Evenly, mm-hmm. and I just felt like uh, character and discipline in the end would win out in that in that matchup, and um, and I just didn't want the excitement of that even, evening to end on a bad note. Of course, and and uh, because it's interesting because uh, it is just a game, right? It when is. it all just comes down to it, but. The part of this film that really blows blows me away and blow, will no doubt blow anybody who, who sees this away is that this game, it's just a game, <laughs> but it is saving lives. You know, the fact that this game exists and your program was that, that is That is humbling, and I'm, I'm honored for you to say that, but respectfully, I, I disagree with you. Um, I felt like... If we instill character and discipline and, and commitment and loyalty and honesty and selflessness and putting the team before oneself, I, I don't feel like I was saving lives. I feel like I was trying to bolster fundamentals so that they could save their own lives because at the end of the day, I wasn't going to be there for them forever. And they needed to be there for themselves. So when they're 40 years old and they look back on football, they remember the tackles, they remember the, the touchdowns. But more importantly, they have when they when their boss fires them, when their wife leaves them, when a children, God forbid, gets sick and, and dies, are they gonna are they gonna fold up camp or are they gonna fall back on the fundamentals that they learned? So if I save their life, the next thing that hits them in the mouth when I'm not there, they're screwed. So I didn't 
I didn't. I mean, I really, it's no false humility here. I didn't. All I did was want to give them a foundation mm-hmm. with on, on which they could go save their own lives and, and do things for themselves. But th- this is a program that had been losing for years. Lots. Lots, yeah. okay. Uh, part of this film chronicles the season, and the goal was just to win a single playoff game, which the school in its, what, 100-plus year yeah, history? I think 100 ne- years or so. Right, had right. never done. Never. Never once. Never. So all of this through, uh, you're, you're that is sort of the the carrot at the end of the stick here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and through it all, again, even though that it would be critically important, that is really low on the list of of priorities well, with here, these young men. Here's here's the best thing. Here's the best way I can explain that to you tonight when you go home. Um, Stop over at Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever Sporting Goods store you got and fill a football up and get in the living room and stand on it. And I bet within 10 seconds you'll fall flat on your rear end. And if you make the foundation of what you do as a coach the football, you're going to fall on your end. If you make the foundation character, commitment, discipline, and all of the tenets that we talk about, and you build from that, you can hold 100 footballs in there as long as you want to. So the, the, the playoff game and the winning seasons and turning the program around and bringing kids in is not about X's and O's in football because if that's what it's about, you're fundamentally, you're, you're fundamentally deficient. If, if you make it about the character and commitment, all the things that you want to grow young men to be, then the football will come. And so that's what it's about. I'm sure a lot of fans might be hearing this. Maybe some coaches are, are hearing this right. How, this all sounds really good. And then you see it. In, <laughs> you, in all seriousness, it sounds really good. You see it in the film. You see it work. It's clearly working. How do you make it work? Certainly when there are a lot of hard heads you are trying to crack. And there are a lot of moments in the film where you are exasperated. You Walk are, it. You are, you are in the car going home. Walk it. What does that mean? Walk it. Walk it. If you're going to say it. Walk it. Kids are unbelievably. Uh, I mean, they're they're unbelievable good judge of character, and if uh, they're just they're, they're, their lives and their and it's and their simplicity, um, and and the and and the age that's not on them allow them to look at things for what they are. And if you talk all this stuff and then go live another way, you're just another sellout. You're just you're just another joke. You're just another like everybody else. But you do this consistently. You say it every day and then you walk it and you live it Mm -hmm. and you show how those things changed my life for me when I was a young man and allowed me to have a a, a four children and a wife and a beautiful family and a business because I walked it and I live it daily. Then Then you can be an example for them, but you have to be consistent. You have to walk it. And if you walk it, they'll follow it. If you don't, then it's just a bunch of crap they're going to stand on a knee and listen to at the end of practice and go do whatever they want to do. But there are moments in the film as well. Um, there's one character, Chavis mm-hmm. Daniels, who comes back after, I guess, a 15-month stay in a uh, juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. Comes back, and he's you're throwing him back on the team, mm-hmm. and he immediately gets into fights, including with, with an angel on your team. Uh, I mean, he was th- this kid. Uh, Nobody Brown. on that team had wings. Well, I, I love that <laughs> but in terms of the, what this 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 young man, Money, in the film, mm-hmm. 
I mean, you immediately you immediately root for him. Okay, yeah. you immediately. And again, I don't want to give away his story and how, and how it works yeah. in it because that is truly one of the more moving moments of the film is mm-hmm. how his story winds up. Yeah. Um, but he immediately slaps him in a meeting, in a team meeting, in front of the whole team. And you, as a coach, are now faced. I was sitting and watching this. I'm like, wow. Okay, I want to see how Coach Courtney handles this one. Because here comes a kid who just comes in, sort of dropped into the scene. Obviously, the the young men on your team know who he is and know what his background is. But he's dropped into the mix. Chemistry is huge. How you handle this moment could could have, in my way, in my view, could have tilted the entire direction of your team if you didn't handle this moment right. What are you thinking when you see this right in the middle of your meeting room right in the middle well, of I mean, your team. The, the gravity of all that didn't weigh on me at that particular time. I had I had a kid acting out, being a complete jerk, and I had a kid getting um getting hit for no reason, and then I had verbal stuff and the whole thing and and the immediate reaction to it is one stop it and two discipline it. And and three make it right between the two kids. And I mean, look, I mean, we can take this a, a whole nother direction, but I will just say this. Um, uh, forgive your trespasses and forgive those who trespass against you. And um, that is also a fundamental tenet that I live my life by and expect those kids to live their life by. And so, you know, it takes some time to forgive, but to forgive Forgiveness has to be asked for, and it took Chavis a long time to get there. But had we just thrown him off the team, what what lesson does he learn? What how, how does he get how does he get better from this? If if we throw him off the team, how does money get better for this? Because money needs to understand what it is to have a forgiving heart, and there's there's just too much invested in, in the moral fiber of these two kids to let that situation be anything more than what it was, which was a misstep that's going to get punished. It's mm-hmm. going to get disciplined, but we're going to learn from it. And, and it takes a big man to ask for forgiveness and it takes a big man to forgive. Small men can harbor grudges forever. And, you know, we talked about that a lot and it eventually came around, but I mean, yeah, but I wouldn't have handled that differently with those two kids and any other two kids on the team. That's just how, in my mind, right. it's pretty simple. That's how you do it. But do you ever doubt what you're doing at any point? Do you ever sit there and think, am I doing the right thing? Cause sure, you- sure. There's there's no there's no manual. And um, sound like parenting, you know what I mean? It, it is. It, it <laughs> absolutely is. Because I've heard that. I've got two young kids at home. I've heard that a lot. Hey, there's it, no manual, you know. It but. is. And and look, I'm, <laughs> I am. We are all failed, all of us. And I am no moral authority by any means, and do terrible things on a daily basis that I'm ashamed of, and you know. So, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, you, I think, don't you doubt yourself sometimes? Yeah. Okay. I'm, well, I'm wondering if I'm asking you the right questions right now. You know, because I want to make sure that, that, that everybody at home understands what's going on. But, it, yeah, obviously there are some times when 
I'm on live TV or anything, but I'm not, you know, what I'm going to do, whether Deion Sanders is set up appropriately to give yeah, his well, analysis or Michael Irvin gets world. his say but in, that's in your the world, B block that, sure. does not, in my mind, you know, equate to the weight of what your words mean. To oh, I mean, I appreciate that, but that's, that's your world. And of course you, and, and of course I doubt, and of course I wonder, and I, I look back on things, both. X's and O's and on the field wise and mm-hmm. off the field. I mean, all of it. Sure. I mean, look, here's the deal. You take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle of it. You put the pluses on the left side and the negatives on the right side. If the negatives outweigh the pluses and you find that a failure, working with these kids will eat you alive. You will become an alcoholic and jump off a bridge. <laughs> all right. Right. What you have to understand is the negatives are inherent and going to be there, and you can't do anything about them. But those few pluses allow you to exact some measure of change, and that's good enough. Well, let's get into you real quick here. Um, before I want to bring the director of the film on in a minute, too, to talk about the film itself. But you have four kids, right? A wife, uh, a lumber business mm-hmm. on the side. Do we call it on the side? Or that's, no, that's, that's, that's what business. I do. That's what you do, right? Okay. Uh, that, uh, we don't even that, call it on the side. But again, <laughs> no. for, we see what you do in this film and how time, incredibly time-consuming it is. Um, is. You've got your own kids. You have some interesting testimonials in the film about you didn't have a dad and you wanted to make sure that you were there for your kids. And that I mean, I had a dad. He just – mom and my dad were divorced right. when I was four. And um, he just there were around very, 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 very small periods of time where he was around. And, and you know, I frankly, um, for many, many years, even through college, wondered what was wrong with me that my own father didn't want me. And, um, and as a young man, that is very, very difficult because we all have our own self-consciousness anyway. And then you add that into it. And so, um, I think one thing that I think, I think, I I think, I think the Lord works mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. I think that experience allowed me to connect with kids that weren't necessarily from my socioeconomic background, but were certainly from my soul background. And I could identify with their pain, and um, that helped me to understand them and have more patience with them than maybe some others wouldn't have just because I I knew where they were coming from. Why do you you do it, though? Because, again – you laughed when I called it a business on the side. I mean, that's what puts a roof over your head. This is what this and, is what and, and Maggie, Molly, Will, and Max is correct. Head. Put right. a roof over your head and your entire family's head. Why do what you do? Why coach? Um, when I graduated from college, I taught school and coached football for a living, um, and got married, started having kids, and the income wasn't enough, and got off and bounced around and then started this business in 2001 and was blessed and it's been successful and I've got 120 employees and we've got an office in Shanghai, got an office in Ho Chi Minh opening uh, an operation served by Indonesia right now as we speak. My guy, guys over there now taking care of that and I, you know, I've been blessed, very blessed. I mean, well beyond what I deserve and sometimes look in the mirror and say, how come me? I mean, how, you know, mm-hmm. and but having said that, I've always been passionate about coaching kids, always. And the opportunity came up to go over for a spring practice about nine years ago, and I fell in love with 17 kids who needed help and wanted help. And this was at Manassas? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, 
and I stayed. And, you know, three or four or five games into season one, we'd actually won three games, which was more than they'd won in all the last few seasons combined. <laughs> and and I, I, I had about half the team – they were all respectful. They were all doing what I asked them to do, yes or no, sir. But I had half the team, you know, got me, and I got them. The other half were respectful, but I, I hadn't reached them yet. I could feel it. And so I asked the kid I was closest to on that first team, you know, what am I doing wrong? He just told me keep doing what I'm doing, be consistent, you know, coach. They'll, they'll feel you eventually. Right. And I said, no, I mean – and he said, okay, coach, straight talk? I said, yeah. He said, coach, I don't want to hurt you. I said, you're not going to hurt me, real talk. He said, well, they're trying to figure out if you're a turkey person. What does that mean? That's what I said. And he said, Coach, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, folks from where you're from show up in suburbans and minivans and bring turkeys and hams and gifts, and we take them because we need them and we ain't got none. But then they leave and we never see them again. So are they doing this because they care about us, or are they doing this so they can go back out to where they're from and tell everybody what they did for us? He said, so what you here for, Coach? That's why. So how did you handle that? Because obviously it, it had to take some time before everyone realized that you were walking it, to use your phrase. Because everybody, including parents and family and teachers and, and society, is in and out of these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. Even the people that bring them turkeys and gifts. I mean, nothing's consistent. Nothing. And, you know... I decided then when he said it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Th these kids need consistency. They need a consistent message from a consistent person who's going to consistently love them no matter what. And that's what turned into six years. Who was your mentor? Uh, it, it would be unfair to say my mentor. There's so many unbelievable men who and, and women mm -hmm. who have um, – really uh, affected my life in so many different ways that I, I couldn't just mention one, but I, um, you know, I, I honestly, I, mm -hmm. I, I just believe, you know, try, try to be as Christ-like as possible and everything will work out for you. So who's, let's, let's just stick to football then coaching mentors. Do you have any coaching mentors? Yeah. There's a guy named Philip Spain. Um, who left before I graduated high school, who um, grew up in Milan, Tennessee, redheaded guy, lean, always chewed on grass when he coached. <laughs> and uh, I would have run through a brick wall for that man. And later, when I graduated college and was coaching football, as, as you know, I was a head football coach of a varsity football team at 22, which was terrible. And I wasn't very good then. Um, but I would go to his office and uh, halfway across town and just draw up plays. I mean, from from when I was in ninth grade until to this very day, I can talk football with that man and I can talk life with that man and I can talk anything else I want to with that man. And I feel filled up when I'm through talking with him. He's a good man. Has anyone, any coaches reached out to you after seeing this film, after this Lots. film? Is anyone Lots. Anyone that we would... We would know. I don't know if you're a name dropper or not, but I wouldn't be a name dropper. But no, I mean, no. I a mean, a lot of high school, college, a guys. lot of high school coaches have, and and some regional stuff. Some guys in Missouri, and some guys in Kentucky, and some in Mississippi and Alabama. And what are they asking? 
What do they want to know? Um, how'd you do it? Yeah, not really how'd you do it, but where do you find the patience for it? You know, how, I'm how sitting do you, there watching that's the, movie, the kind of the question I get. Thing. I yeah, mean, how how do you not absolutely lose it and just tell them to get out? And again, it's <laughs> I mean, what better lesson can you teach a young man who's going to be married one day, who's going to work for somebody one day? What better lesson can you teach him than forgiveness? Than grace? What better lesson can you teach a young man to have to be gracious enough to have a forgiving heart? And if you lose it and don't have a forgiving heart, they'll never learn it. So, I mean, what better teammate is there than one that when you when the second fumble in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, the, I don't even know the guy, the punt guy. Well, first one bounced off me, the second yeah, fumble. Yeah, Kyle Williams. Yeah, you look at that sideline. Right. There's one guy that comes off the sideline and hugs that guy around the head right. and tries to console him. And that's a man because he knows that that guy probably lost him a chance at a Super Bowl ring and and immortality in his world. Yet he's willing to go hug the guy that just lost it for him. Mm-hmm. That's a grown damn man. Before we get the director, and uh, uh, it's interesting everything that we're talking about, how it's still – is happening in the NFL with grown men, professionals, that these are certain – some of the things that you're talking about right now, I've heard the NFL brings in a host of people to speak to the rookies at the Rookie Symposium to basically teach them what to do, what not to do now that you're a professional, now that you're going to have money, now that there are people going to come out of the woodwork that you've never heard from in years. And the, and the, and the, and the teaching – of a disciplined, consistent character is so deficient in the college level today. It's it's tragic, in my opinion. And you know these guys that get the money and then and then get rookies and then blow the money or do something stupid. Well, hell yeah, you set them up for it. The whole system did. And I think the NFL having those conversations is is responsible and great. And I think I think it's a responsibility of the NFL to do it. But I will tell you. It should be a greater responsibility of the learning institution that just made millions off that kid playing football who gets paid nothing for it to teach him something other than a than a four two nickel. I mean, somebody should be preparing these kids for for life, and I'm sure there's a lot of coaches who do it, but I know there's a lot of coaches who don't too because you can see their byproduct on mm-hmm. the field on Sundays. Right, and the NFL is also telling these young men to have a second career. Absolutely. Pre- to get ready for the next step. I because was, you can't stand on a football, right? You can't stand. Maybe that's what they should do. Maybe they should blow up a football and put it on the you stage. can't stand on a football, so you better be ready to fall off of it. And you better have some foundation other than that thing because you're going to fail if it is. Because even if I said this to you off, off air, and I'll say it now again, just take a look, for instance, at somebody like um, Marshall Falk, my, my colleague here. He had an incredible career. Yeah, he's awesome. Okay. An incredible football career. He did it all. Um, um, had community ties with every community he was in. He did everything, right? Super Bowl ring, MVPs, records, Amazing Hall guy. of Fame. Yeah, he's the guy. Retired mid-30s. Mid-30s. Best career he could possibly get. Now he has to find out what he's doing after that, even with the greatest career. And that's what how about, how, how about a guy that young makes the league minimum for six years as a long snapper or, or mm-hmm. whatever and gets a little NFL retirement? What's he going to do? I mean, 
it's again, if you make football your foundation, you will fail. Can't be. This is a great movie, Undefeated. Let's get uh, let's get let's turn to our director that's uh, here right now. It's a movie uh, directed by T.J. Martin and Dan Lindsay. And Dan is here uh, on the Rich Eisen podcast, a 2012 Oscar-nominated documentary feature. Dan Lindsay, good to have you here. How Thank are you, you sir? Uh, for having me. I'm doing well. Congratulations yeah. on this Thank you very much. documentary. It is worthy. Well, I didn't see. I, 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 I have not seen the other uh, Oscar-nominated documentaries. You don't need to look at that. I don't need to look at that, right? <laughs> to heck with them. Throw them all Throw out. Them out. Uh, but this is really a, a superb work that you, you did with T.J. Martin. Is mm-hmm. this the first documentary you've, you've taken a crack on this, uh, this length? Sort yeah, of, or, well, this is this... the first thing that T.J. and I have co-directed. T.J. and I met okay. actually making a really important film on the World Series of Beer Pong. Okay. Uh, that was our <laughs> previous uh, engagement. Enormous depth. Now, was that was that the resume that you you, you presented to? Uh, actually, sadly, actually, sadly, actually, sadly, actually yes. it was. It yeah. was? Yeah. Yeah. So you just call him no, up? No, no. He shows up right. wearing goofy little doc shoes, <laughs> skinny tight jeans, striped socks, goofy hair, and tells me beer pong. Yeah. In but North- we want to follow your life around if that's okay. Right. <laughs> in, so you showed up in North Memphis just out of the blue? No, well, we found know. we found a, an article. Our producer, Rich Middlemiss, found an article about uh, one of the players, O.C. Brown, um, and uh, his kind of unique living situation. He was living with one of the volunteers that helps Bill um, during the week, and then he lived with his grandmother in North Memphis uh, on the weekends. And that kind of – the idea of this kid being shuttled between these kind of two disparate worlds is what – initially interested us right and then we went to memphis and met bill and we're like well he's incredible uh you know what's the story here and and bill kind of told us the backstory of the program and everything that's when we changed the focus to make it more about the the team and then as you're going through the season i mean seeing these dramas unfold incredible yeah had to you must have gone back at the end of a shooting day and looked at each other and saying, this is remarkable yeah. stuff that we're getting. Yeah. And it happened film. really early on. I mean, the, the, the trust that, and that's what we always say, like, you know, like even with the nomination, like that's a testament to the trust that, um, that Bill and, and all the kids gave us, like, um, right from the beginning, everybody was really emotionally candid with us. And, you know, we, we felt a really strong duty to, to tell their story truthfully and honestly, you know, warts and all. And that's what we told Bill we would do. You know, we, we said, we, we want to tell your story. And he said, just do it right. Once again, it's a testament to their consistency. They were at every practice, every game. They helped teach a film class. They were in school. They were in the hallways. They were at graduation, prom. They were at every film study. They were at late night when I'd put the – on Sundays when I'd put out the game plan for the following week and we handed them out one over. They were there. They were always there. And so because they were always there, mm-hmm. just like you asked earlier about me, the mm-hmm. kids – Trusted them. They weren't turkey people. Yeah. Basically, they were clearly <laughs> not not turkey people because well, nobody. Well, nobody that dresses like them ever brought anything anywhere <laughs> <That's true>. in <laughs> New Chicago. Right, <laughs> right. I was walking through the hallway one day and I heard a girl behind me go, "Damn, those are the tightest jeans I've ever seen on a man." <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. We got some. We definitely got some interesting comments yeah. from the. I, uh, I asked you this before. But they're adorable. My <laughs> wife will tell the you. Jeans? At, no, the jeans. No, no. Oh. Dan and TJ and Rich are adorable, cute, cute. She calls them the cute little boy. Boys from LA, adorable, sweet. Look at them. That should, that should go a long way. And, and TJ that. will let you know it's not what you wear, but it's how you rock it. Now I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> that's uh, rocking it, walking rocking it, it yeah, all that stuff. It, yeah, were you really. wearing a mic the whole time? Were you always? It was constant. Yeah, you were because it it just seemed like every everything 
was captured. There wasn't. I mean, a to be honest moment. with you, I really don't remember. Dan would probably know, but right. it seems as though I always had a mic on. Yeah, I mean, Bill would show up. I mean, we we really wanted to make something that would be intimate, and um, you know, we wanted an audience to forget that they were watching a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only way to do that was to be around for everything, and we wanted those moments to unfold in front of the camera instead of like people anecdotally talking about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would show when Bill would show up to practice, I would mic him up and then just follow him. And we never, you know, we we kind of went with the theory of direct cinema. We, we never asked anyone like, oh, can we get a shot of you walking through the door or, or anything like that? It was always, we're just going to be there. And if we don't catch it, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. Well, again, I, I don't want to give away too much of this film, mm-hmm. but I, I will give one thing away um, in the fact that I did not know your story when I when I watched this film. I didn't know the story of, of, of North uh, Memphis. I didn't know the story of Manassas. I did see the title Undefeated. Mm-hmm. And the first game you play, you lose. <laughs> And I thought going into this thing, I'm going to watch that, that, that coach is going to take this team undefeated to the state championship or whatever. But when they lost that first game, I thought to myself, okay, now I'm beginning to see what the title means. Yeah. Can you describe why you chose undefeated as yeah. the title of this documentary? Well, TJ and I always work from themes. That's kind of how our process is. And so everything has to filter through the one or two themes that we kind of decide the film is about. And so this was this film was very much about resilience. And so we wanted a one word that would kind of speak to that. Um, it was actually our, one of our producers that, I mean, we were banging our heads against the wall trying to figure it out. I mean, we, we had this whiteboard with all these different titles up. And one we even wrote out, can't be defeated. Mm-hmm. And yet our idiot brains couldn't come up with undefeated. <laughs> undefeated. Yeah, just yeah. boiling so our, it down to one word. Yeah, our right. producer is like, how about undefeated? And we're like, oh right. my God, that's perfect. Um, but it's, and we liked the idea of, ex- we wanted the audience to go through the experience you did, where you're going into it thinking this is just going to be well, a football film. I sort of blew film. it now. I yeah. sort of blew it a little no, no, bit. No, 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 but it's fine. It's fine. We, we talk okay. about it in interviews. And, right. and it's a, I think it's a way to let people know that it's not going to – You know, it's, I, I've said like it's called undefeated, but they don't win every game. Um, you know, and that's what it was. It's about – it's speaking to the character of the kids and the team and, and their resilience. And the fact that they will not be defeated mm-hmm. moving forward that because just, of the lessons that you, Coach well, it's, Courtney, it's about have not instilled. being – defeated by your circumstances. And once again, football is the backdrop. The relationships and all the other stuff is what the film's about. Similarly, the team, the football is the byproduct of all the work that you do right. off the football field. So you're you're not defeated by a lack of character. You're not defeated by your circumstances. And I, I mean that was that's kind of our mantra and they ended up making a film about it naming that. And I, I mean it parallels the the movie and the mantra kind of parallel, and and because again most of the time when you you're you're chronicling a team, one of the I was waiting for you to get to the quarterback, <laughs> waiting for you to start talking about the quarterback, waiting for you to tell me the story of this running back that was running away from everybody yeah. in this movie, set state championship records this year as a senior. State championship record. Drop his name for me. What his name's Omar Williams, and I think he ran for for three hundred and eighty three yards and four touchdowns in the state championship game this year. He had a similar night that in one of the games when we were there at St. Benedict. Yeah, like three hundred. Yeah, he was four hundred. I mean, yeah. He's very good. So why he also had a pretty pretty amazing line uh, blocking for him as That's well. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so 
Why didn't you hit on it? Was just, it was, was that, never, again, part of the whole concept yeah, that it's not a football well, movie? Well, I think it's gonna... a combination of me and TJ's stupidity and, uh, and our just, focus. Well, I, it just wasn't – it was never uh, – you know, where you were interested, again, in, in, in making something that would, would kind of play out like a scripted narrative. And so we had to find people to focus on who had – you know, something was going to happen. Like they wanted something. They were either going to get it or they weren't. And so that's who we wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. And that just happened to be the most interesting people happened to be a couple of linemen and a linebacker. But it was like halfway through the season that our producer finally was like, you think we should interview the quarterback? I mean, <laughs> yeah. people might be interested in yeah. knowing who they are. And who, I was by, like, who, by the way, is a senior this year. He was a sophomore in the movie. So yeah. right? this is his senior. He just signed a, a He's going to play football at Mississippi State. Will Redmond. Wow. He's going to SEC? His name's Will Redmond. He's going to play in the SEC. He had offers all over the place. He's incredible. He had offers from Notre Dame to Oklahoma to Florida. Now, do you think that there were always kids as talented in North Memphis? Oh, absolutely. But just there was not uh, something going on in the school to draw them there? Well, you you know, as we all know, recruiting is illegal in high school athletics. Sure. Of course. However... (laughs) (laughs) Um, It seemed as though the kids from New Chicago and Smoky City and Greenlaw, after eighth grade, moved. But I don't know where they went. (laughs) Okay. But once there was was an anchor to keep them in their own communities and a reason to stay and play – it you know there wasn't any recruiting. The biggest recruiting job we had to do was just to get those kids to stay in their neighborhood and stay in their community and play for their school and their their community. It seemed like I touched a little bit of a nerve right there. <laughs> I gotta say, just a little, just a little. I, I think it is very disingenuous to um, build a program off another's back. You know, work with what you got. Right. What's the buzz? What's the buzz for the film? What's the Oscar buzz? What are you hearing? Uh, are you hearing? I don't. I don't know. I've you don't hear tra- I, well, Come on, I've you been hear kind something. of. I, you know, there's people that are predicting us that we're going to win. That okay. seems completely ludicrous to me. Why? I, I, the whole thing is. You don't have a speech ready? No, God no. Uh, we probably should, but uh, not because well, I think we're going to win. But we don't want to be the you know the jerks that get up there and. I've been nominated twice for best studio host for sports. I didn't write. Um, I I didn't write a speech. The only speech I wrote was clap as Bob Costas walks to the stage <laughs> and gets his 18th Emmy award. Yeah. You know, but I didn't. If, if by pure happenstance, if my name was called, yeah. I didn't have. I, yeah. I had nothing. Yeah, we had, are. Uh, but you got to have something. You cannot stand I think we up. We have an, I mean, for. Us, those, here's the what's rest amazing. of your peers yeah. and and not yeah here's what's amazing to us and you I can't think, go along either you, i don't want to hear it. the theme i can't you hear, hear the th- i can't hear the band start playing you know, i'll that, give you a little that, inside baseball into sure. this so they have a nominees lunch where they bring all of the nominees and you you know you sit at a table and they mix everybody up um you know so tj was sitting with glenn close and rich was like sitting next <laughs> to brad pitt um and uh, but they, well, that's what they, good friends do. Yeah, on exactly. Like Mondays <laughs> yeah. and lunches, right? Yeah. Uh, but they right. they have a uh, Tom Hanks gives you a go to like there's a D and they send you the DVD afterwards. But it's like how to give a good speech, and then they actually give you a DVD with a timer on it, so you can practice at home. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah. A timer. I just got my DVD An yesterday. At home yeah. timer. And how many is it? Sixty seconds. Gonna... Uh, Forty five seconds. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, there's no chance. Right. No, no chance. I mean, <laughs> why they don't? That's why they don't give these things to Southern people? Because I mean, forty five <laughs> seconds is how long it takes us to say hi. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so are you? Are you're you over? Are you no, you're no, no. Going? That's yeah, oh, I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yes, you're yes, going. So yes. you're going to the Oscars. Yes. You're walking the red carpet. I don't know if are I'm walking bring... the red carpet. They bring. Yes, I, he is. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, walking yeah, the yeah. red carpet. Okay, I'm you're walking the, the red star of this. No. I know you don't want to hear that. So coaches don't like hearing yeah, this no, sort of no, stuff. No, no, no. More than I'm likely, talking... somebody's going to ask me to bring him a drink. 
I mean, nobody's going to know who I am. I'm no. going to be sitting there in a tux. And Chance, that's, man. That's People it. have seen this. The Academy voted for this. They nominated this. So are, who are you? Are, are, are you going to be starstruck by anybody Not, there? nah. Come on. You see Clooney, you're not going to want to go say hi or anything? Like no. That? No? I mean, you know what? This, I, we're, I'm going to allow myself to enjoy this because sure. it's fun and cool. Of course. But I don't even want my kids talking about it at school. And I've told the the guys on the team, you know, at the end of the day, if this defines us or this is the best thing that happens to us in our lives, you know, we, we need to check our depth a little bit. You know, the best thing that needs to happen for our lives is watching my kids graduate from college and have children and be a grandfather and 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 OC and Chavis and those guys need to get married and watch their children grow up and, and get a job and have a career. Those need to be their defining moments. This thing just needs to be something that we keep in perspective. The next great thing will come along in four or five months and they'll forget about us and allow yourself to enjoy it while you're doing it and everything else. But, you know, keep it real. We're not going to be defined by this and therefore I'm not going to get in there and try to hobnob it with a bunch of people who otherwise would not have ever known me or cared about me anyway. It's just not real. You can't stand on an Oscar. Essentially, is what I think, you're I think me if right you now, try, right? I think if you try to stand on an Oscar, it's harder than a football. I think so. that, you're, you're, you're falling off that in mere seconds. No, you're just it's you're, yeah, you're one and done, maybe. That's it. If you're you're out. You can't stand on that's, an Oscar. You're done. See, I, I, far be it for me to give you lines. I mean, you've got all the li- you've got all the you know all the the axioms that's speech, in the world. That be our speech. Yeah, you can't yeah. stand on an Oscar. Yeah. Just you can't yeah, stand. On, you I mean, can't stand on an Oscar. Well, listen, you can't. Uh, good luck to you. Thank you very much. Good luck Thank to you and and TJ undefeated is a superb film and um obviously without you coach it can't be made you and your guys you yeah. and your volunteer you want to mention your volunteer coaches go I, for it go I, absolutely go for i, I want to mention jim tipton without him it would have never started he was the first to walk across the street and brought me into the fold mm-hmm. um mike walker who played for bo schembechler at michigan ah you're talking my language <laughs> you know, right? jeff jeff germany played for lou holtz at arkansas mike ray who's on the team of the decade for arkansas state played for larry lacewell um greg hollenbeck we greg hollenbeck he's he's a pilot and so the kids called him coach fly um, tommy warren yeah tommy warren uh carl coleman and i'll even tell you there's a guy named coach harris who coaches basketball but went to manassas and graduated from manassas and loves that place and mm-hmm. would just kill himself for those kids there's coach I, clark too i'm sure coach clark who's a coach, prison guard who's a prison guard that shows up and um miss fay and and yeah, Miss Faye, who's the uh, statistician <laughs> and who whose son played, I think, in college and during warm-ups before the game, walks between the lines and in her very large voice and self screams at the kids to get them fired up. I mean, this was – I'm fortunate enough that I'm representing a whole Hope Presbyterian Church who brings these kids in every summer. I mean, it's just an amazing group of people who – Put everything aside in terms of preconceived notions and 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 anything else with no agenda, just to get together and do something good for one another. And it's beautiful, man. Well, it is because, like I said, that's how I started this conversation with you. Is all of us here with the NFL would get caught up on Sundays and Mondays and Saturday nights sometimes on NFL Network. And now you know here we're all talking about left and right in our hallways mm-hmm. about how we've got thirteen Thursday night games. You just sometimes forget about Friday, and <laughs> it's where it all starts. Late on Friday, where it all starts, where lives are are honed and character is built. 
and communities get together and it means so much yeah. to everybody. And again, that's why I love this film. It, it really brings it all home. And, and, and again, someone like yourself, coach, uh, I'll say, cause again, I know coaches hate tooting their own horns. You're fantastic. Uh, you are, sure. you are. And, and you're yourself and it's great to see, and it's great to see your relationship with these kids crossing race lines, crossing generational lines. It really is awesome to see. And, uh, everyone should see undefeated. Good luck to you. Thanks Good luck to you. very much for your kind words, to you. Oh, you bet. Uh, Bill Courtney and also Dan Lindsay here Pleasure. on the Rich Thank Eisen Podcast. Much. Good luck to you. Thank you. But again, I don't want to hear the theme. I can't hear the band. Don't go more than 45 <laughs> seconds. That's I don't what I'm hear practicing is I don't want to hear the it. band. And, and are, you ma- are you married? <laughs> no. Because no, okay. no, no. do I, not forget the wife. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, no, do no, no, not. No, no. Oh, you better uh, yeah. mention yeah. mama since I'm out here on, yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you mean your wife? You're mama. Okay. That's my mama. wife. Mama. Okay. You got to do that. Yeah, when you have four kids, you're mama. I got you. Okay. Don't do not do that. Just don't. Please. Yeah, don't. That's the worst. <laughs> That's the cringeworthy. Because then my wife sticks me. She's always <laughs> like, they forgot the wife. Uh, yeah. hey. That's first. No good. Yeah. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. You bet. That's. That's Undefeated, uh, one of the, the best documentaries out there, certainly according to the Academy. And uh, if I was giving out the Oscars, I would I would give it. Uh, that's Dan Lindsay, one of the directors of the film, and Coach Bill Courtney, uh, right here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Once again, back in his role of the official movie reviewer of the Rich Eisen Podcast is none other than the winningest coach in the history of the New Orleans Saints. Also, the man who d- helped uh, draft Peyton Manning into the league back in the day as coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Pleased to have back on the program. Jim Mora. How are you, Coach? Rich, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Before we get to the red carpet, before we get to the glitz and the glamour of the Oscars, where you will, once again, for the second straight year, give us your picks for who will bring home Oscar gold this coming Sunday, uh, I want to talk a little football with you, as always. Um, Peyton Manning in the news, left, right, up, down, all over the place. We're going back to Indianapolis again after the Super Bowl that uh, was dominated about the talk of Peyton Manning, I'd love to to get your recollections of where you were right now heading into Combine Week, the year that Peyton Manning was coming out of Tennessee and you had the first overall pick the last time the Colts had the first overall pick. Where were you in the mindset about who you're going to choose at this very point in time? Well, we had narrowed it. We we were definitely going to pick a quarterback. We had the first pick, and uh, we knew the top two quarterbacks were Peyton and Ryan Leaf, so we were going to pick one of those guys. We were still in the process of evaluating both of them very, very, very thoroughly. Uh, a lot of film work, interviews, et cetera. We had interviews set up with them at the Combine. We had worked them out at their school. We had looked at a thousand you know, tapes and had other people look at them, recommendations, et cetera. And uh, so we were still in the process of making a decision. We had not made one yet. And so uh, what did you see at the Combine? Out well, of these neither two guys? one of them worked out at the Combine. Well, that's what quarterbacks do, right? Right. <laughs> but we, uh, we interviewed Peyton at the Combine, and uh, we got stood up by Ryan at the Combine. He was supposed to – we had an interview with him set up, and uh, he didn't show. And then the next morning he told us that uh, he had a – doctor uh, an appointment with the doctor that's why he couldn't be there so he, you you were waiting around looking at your watch going where's right. ryan leaf right we we were, in, we were in a little room there we interview room we had you know myself and bill polian and some of the scouts some of the coaches other people and uh he was supposed to have showed up and he never showed just didn't show and we didn't know where he you know he didn't he didn't let us know or ahead of time or anything and we found out the next day what 
what happened. No kidding. And what was Peyton's interview like? Was he just uh, off the charts in every possible way, or or you still had reservations even after chatting with him? Well, no, you never had reservations about Peyton. Uh, It was just whether or not the other guy, you know, through the interview, through, through the evaluation process, whether the other guy was was better, and you know, but but Peyton, you never had reservations about him. But uh, Peyton's interview was very interesting. Unlike a lot of uh, most interviews that I've been involved with, where where the coaches and scouts and GMs did the question asking, and the and the uh, the player did the answering, and, and and this this lasted for a few minutes with our interview with Peyton, and then. And then he started asking the questions, and we were we were being interviewed, and he was, and he was, and he was taking notes throughout the interview. It's very interesting. No kidding. What was he asking you? Uh, just about about you know who the coaches were going to be, uh, what kind of an offense we were going to run, uh, you know that kind of stuff. Just no, no kidding. So and he was taking notes throughout the time. Now you know I had known Peyton. I mean, this wasn't sure. my first. Uh, exposure to Peyton because he'd grown up in New Orleans when I was uh, coaching the Saints, and I knew his dad and mom and the whole deal. So, you know, I kind of knew what to expect. So even after uh, Peyton Manning comes in and is so uh, conscientious to ask questions of his own of his potential employers, and Ryan Leaf blew you guys off, even after all that, you were still you were still doing due diligence on Ryan Leaf that perhaps he was still the better pick. Well, it was such an important pick, Rich. I mean, it's the number one pick. It's a quarterback. It's the face of your franchise for the next 10 or 15 years. You just couldn't say, well, because of that, Peyton's going to be our guy, you know, because Ryan blew us off and Peyton showed up and was very impressive. You know, you still had to keep digging and asking and looking and things like that because it was so important. So there's no question the Colts are going to do the similar due diligence on on uh, Robert Griffin the third in your estimation because everyone's saying ah it's luck it's going to be Andrew Luck lock it in the now that the evaluation portion's going on uh, would you say it's a sure bet that the Colts are going to kick the tires on RG three to see perhaps he's the guy that they should take first of I all? think so yeah I mean here again it's it's such an important selection you've got the number one pick in the draft you've got a quarterback that uh, you're going to base your future on and you better make sure you're doing it uh, pick, making the right pick so you cover all the bases and uh, they're going to make sure they do that and i'd be remiss if uh, i didn't ask you what your thoughts are um i know you're not a, a doctor you're not looking at, at peyton's uh uh i guess uh, neck x-rays or anything of that nature but uh from afar hearing how jim ursay and peyton manning are sort of doing a um, a kabuki dance, for the lack of a better phrase, in in uh, in the press, and that it appears that an amicable divorce is imminent between these two. I'd love to know what your thoughts are as the coach who drafted Peyton Manning into the Indianapolis Colts organization that essentially got to host a Super Bowl based on what Peyton Manning has become. I, I think I think they're going to release him. Uh, you know, either that or they're going to they're going to make a an offer that Peyton's going to say, no, I don't want to do it. I don't see Peyton being a Colt next year. Now, that's just the feeling I have. It's not any, I'm not basing it on any inside information, but I think they they got a new coach. they got a new GM. They're, they're, they're starting over. They're losing a lot of their vets, and they're going to have a brand-new offense that Peyton would have to learn. Uh, and, and, and if they feel strongly about the guy they're going to pick, whether it's whether, you know, which, whichever quarterback it is, 
then I think they're going to, I think they're going to, I don't think Peyton's going to be a Colt. Do you think that Peyton could, let's just say if, if, if they do somehow, some way come to some arrangement, do you think Peyton Manning, knowing him the way you do, could be the guy to just throw an arm around a luck or an RG three while he continues to go about his business of being a hall of fame quarterback? Yeah, but he wouldn't give up his job easy. This guy's a competitor, and he's tough, and he wants to be the best, and he wants to be number one. So uh, I think that you know he he would if he if he's healthy, you know, then the rookie would have a hard time beating him out. Of course, no doubt. So uh, do you think Peyton? Uh, they're, they're mentioning Miami, uh, Washington's being mentioned as a possible destination. Even the Jets. Although I don't know if Peyton Manning would be up for some of the drama that seems to be unfolding there on a daily basis since the end of the season. Where do you think Peyton Manning, uh, 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 as a an ex Colt, would fit? If, of course, he's physically able to do that. I, I think of the three teams you mentioned. I don't think there's any way he'd go to the Jets, and and I, I think I think uh, he, he Miami would be my my pick of those three teams. Uh, they've got a they've got an offensive guy as the head coach. He was you know Philbin the coordinator for the Packers and and uh, you know Peyton when they played in the Super Bowl down there a few years ago uh, they bought a place down there mm-hmm. a, a condo or something and I and I, I think his wife likes that type of weather and stuff like that you know I, that that might play into it some but uh, no state income tax helps too no state income tax there you go no no it helps so that, that would be my pick Jim uh, let's get to the Academy Awards now Let's okay. get to the red carpet now. Uh, you've seen most of these films. I know you haven't seen all of them, but uh, you are one of the biggest movie buffs that I know that's out there. Last year, you went um, four for six in okay. these picks, okay? Mm-hmm. I think you fell for the the True Grit um, uh, tidal wave that never hit the Oscars last year. Um, I did the same thing, by the way. So uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on some of these uh, Academy Awards. Okay. And let's see if you can you can nail these right. Uh, let's start with Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. Jonah Hill in Moneyball. Nick Nolte in Warrior. Christopher Plummer in Beginners. And Max von Sydow in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Who do you think uh, is going to take home the Oscar gold, Jim? I believe that Christopher Plummer is going to take home the Oscar gold for Best Supporting Actor. And why is that? I, th- I think, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not see that movie, but I've talked to a lot of people that saw that movie that rave about him and his performance. So uh, that's that's who I feel is going to win it. I, you know, I, I saw The Warrior. I like Nick Nolte. I thought he did a good job in that. Uh, I just, I think Plummer's the guy. Did you see Moneyball? Oh, I saw Moneyball, too, and I liked, I liked him, too. Yeah, I liked him. I thought he did an excellent job, too. Moneyball uh, was great. I really... Yeah, no, it was one of my favorites. Yeah, I, no question. I really enjoyed Moneyball. I did, um, too. And Jonah Hill was sort of a, a surprise. I mean, people thought that he could get it, but it was sort of a surprise that he did get a nomination. And Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. Did you see My Week with Marilyn? I saw that. I saw that. I thought he did a good job, too. He was awesome as Lawrence yeah. Olivier. In that one, but he's awesome in everything he does, except the one time that he was in a Woody Allen movie and he played the Woody Allen character. That that didn't go too well for him. But other than that, he was he's been phenomenal. But Christopher Plummer is your pick for Oscar Gold in yeah, Best Supporting. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of a pick that uh, I'm kind of going along with the tide there. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't see the movie, but from what I've heard and talked to people that saw it and things like that, these other ones, I I actually saw the movies on my selections and you know were able to see other movies that they were competing with. So. 
these other ones are going to be who I who I like the best and who I think is going to get it or yeah. should get it. I think Christopher Plummer. That's the Oscar buzz here in this town. If I have right, my finger on right. the pulse of it, actress in a supporting role, uh, Berenice Bejo in The Artist, uh, Jessica Chastain in The Help, Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids, hilarious, Janet McTeer in Albert Knobs, and Octavia Spencer for The Help. The Oscar goes to Jim Mora. Octavia Spencer. Really liked her. Loved the movie. Uh, thought she did a great job. Uh, you know, she had, uh, you know, Jessica Chastain was in that movie, but I, I, I liked Octavia, Octavia Spencer. I, I, I liked her. I liked, thought she did a great job. What'd you like about The Help? What'd you like oh, about Oh, it was that? an excellent movie. I mean, it just, you know, it was one of those movies you just sat there and, and enjoyed it. I like to go to a movie where kind of puts you in a good mood and interesting and, and funny, uh, has all those characteristics, and I thought the, the help had all those. Now, it's putting you in a good mood. I know this because we spoke about this when we went over summer movies on the podcast, Jim. You loved Bridesmaids. That I know. Oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> that was great. That was a fun. I mean, I, I just laughed the whole way through it. You know, I thought it was excellent. But, yeah, uh, and she was great, Melissa McCarthy in the Bridesmaids. Yeah, yeah, she was good, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, she's a comedian. She kind of played a funny part. Uh, Octavia Spencer, you know, she she had to learn a role and, and, and that, and I, I just uh, I, I think she deserves it. All right, there you go. That's uh, the best supporting actress uh, for, for the Oscar goes to Octavia Spencer of The Help, according to Jim Mora. Uh, let's move to actor in a leading role. Uh, you've got uh, Damien Bashir, A Better Life, George Clooney in The Descendants, Jean Dujardin in The Artist, Gary Oldman, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, and from Moneyball, Brad Pitt. This is an interesting one, Jim Mora. The Oscar goes to Jean Dujardin for the artist. Yep, I thought he was outstanding. He was great in that movie. Yeah, and and you know I'm not so sure. You know, no speaking, but I'm not so sure that might have been harder than than talking. You know, I don't I don't know, but uh, I know we'll get to, to to selecting the best picture later on right. and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, you know, this is a movie that I wasn't real fired up about seeing when, I, you know, nobody's talking, silent, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I thought he was great, just great. He was good, but George yeah. Clooney won the Golden Globe. I mean, I know. he's, he's and, out and, there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe because maybe because I'm used to Clooney, uh, I've seen him in other things, uh, that kind of stuff, and this guy was new, but he just, he just fired me up, the job he did. He did. And what about Brad Pitt? In Moneyball. Uh, good, but again, you know, Brad Pitt should be doing a good job in, in, in a movie like that. Uh, I liked him, too, and I loved the movie, but uh, I don't know. I just uh, okay. I, I walked out of that, uh, the artist, and Jean Dujardin, he just, I said, man, he did a great job. He did, and, and yeah. uh, as you said, you know, a silent film, uh, you know, obviously in 2012, a lot of people are wondering if yeah. they could actually enjoy something like that, and it was incredible, but George Clooney and the Descendants, that... Yeah, and that 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 you know that might be my second. Yeah, that would be one A, I guess in that respect. Uh, okay, let's go to actress in a leading role: Glenn Close for Albert Knobs, Viola Davis for The Help, Rooney Mara of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Meryl Streep for The Iron Lady, and Michelle Williams, My Week with Marilyn. This is a this is a high powered category. I know, Jim, and the Oscar for actress in a leading role goes to Meryl Streep. For the Iron Lady, You're gonna, yep. she's going to uh, win it for for her role as Margaret Thatcher, according right. to you. And uh, you know the movie was good, not great. I got a little bored in it at times, 
right. but I thought she did a super job. I mean, I just, you know, I just with you know, the, the accent, the makeup, the the, the whole acting process. I thought she was. Uh, Man, how many Oscars does she have? I, mean, you know. I don't know, but I tell you what, I I I just think she deserves it. I really do. No kidding. Uh, yeah, did- and Viola Davis, I know, was really good in the Help. I liked her a lot. I know she was maybe seems to be like a favorite for the for the the Oscar. But uh, comparing the two, I saw I saw the Help a while ago. I saw Iron Lady somewhat recently, and uh, I just the Meryl Streep uh, performance just stuck with me as the, the best. What'd you think of the girl with the dragon tattoo? I love that. I love that. I mean, I I'd seen both of them. I saw the Swedish one, and and then I saw the right. American version. Uh, uh, Rooney Mara was good, but Phenomenal. I don't think she, she stacks up with. Uh, with either Streep or Viola Davis. Yeah, this John John Mara's uh, niece, right. niece, you know. Right. Is up for and did you see Albert Knobs? I never saw. No, that. I did not see it. Yeah, I, I did not see, see it. I didn't see that one either. Yeah. Okay, so you go with Meryl Streep and yep. the Iron Lady. Okay. Yep. Um, let's go to Best Director, which, as you know, is always a um, sort of a uh, an indicator as to who is going to win the Academy Award. Usually these goes hand-in-hand, hand, but you never know. Right. Um, Michael has an avicious for the artist, um, or Michelle, I'm probably botching his name, the director for the artist, let's put it that way. Uh, the Descendants is Alexander Payne, Martin Scorsese for Hugo, Woody Allen, Midnight in Paris, which is one of my favorite movies of the year, right. and The Tree of Life by Terrence, uh, directed by Terrence Malick. And the Oscar for Best Director goes to... Well, I'm going with the guy from uh, the artist, Hajinovish, Vicious, or whatever his name is, right. Michael. And I, again, uh, I love the movie, uh, and I, I, I thought it was well done, uh, different, obviously. And uh, I'm going to go with him. And, I, I didn't see a couple of those other ones. I didn't see a Tree of Life. Right. I didn't see that either. Yeah. Uh, but Hugo is supposed to be, you okay. know, uh, an achievement, and it is Scorsese. Right, mm-hmm. I know, but just because it's Sarkazy, it doesn't mean he should win. Do you think Woody Allen's going to show up? That's the big question about the Oscars. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know, but I love that movie too. I know you did, and I, I did too. I thought it, it was, was awesome. It yep. was even though I thought, you know, for 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 the Woody aficionados out there, it was sort of Purple Rose of Cairo ish. I don't know if you ever saw the Purple Rose of Cairo. No. Yeah, it was a movie that Woody did back in the '80s, where uh, characters in a film came to life, uh, came walking off the screen. Uh, and into the real world, and obviously lots of craziness happened when that happened. So with Midnight in Paris having, you know, characters from the past, like real-life individuals who have since passed, come to life at the stroke of Midnight in Paris, it was sort of similar in that respect. But I still loved it. And I thought uh, Owen Wilson was awesome. Uh, yeah, he was good. He that. was really good, yep. All right, so you're going with the—did you see—you you did see The Descendants, though, correct? Yep. Yeah, I liked it. It was good. It was good. Yeah. But I, again— from the director of Sideways, if you recall yeah, that movie. Yeah, I know. I know. No, okay. it was good. It was a good movie. All right, so you're going with the director of The Artist. Now let's get to Best Picture. As you know, they have, uh, they've expanded the rosters right. uh, the last couple of years. So the uh, Best Picture nominees are The Artist, The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Help, which you've already been on record saying you really liked, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. And the winner... For best picture, the well, Oscar goes to. It's gonna be pretty obvious. The artist. I'm going with the artist. I mean, that was my that was my favorite movie, but without without question. And I there was a couple there that I didn't see. I didn't see the Tree of Life. I didn't see the incredibly close movie. I saw all the other ones. Oh, I didn't see Hugo. I didn't see Hugo. Right. My wife wants to see it, but it doesn't fire me up. But anyway, <laughs> uh, 
I, 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 walk, I, I sat there, and when I walked, like I told you, I, I wasn't sure I was even going to go see the artist. And, and I walked in there and saw it just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Right. And, and it, was, uh, it was moving. It just, it, was... it just kept going and getting better and better and better. And I'm saying, man, this is a good movie. You know what I mean? It is a good movie. Is it the yeah. only silent movie you've ever seen? Well, uh, probably. Yeah. yeah. It probably is. If probably. You think about it. And Moneyball, a lot of people think it's got an outside shot, but... How can a movie about uh, the Oakland A's win it all, right? I mean, shouldn't it yeah. be fitting that they get to the playoffs like the Academy Awards and then they're beaten by by the bigger team, right? Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. that be the yeah. case? Yeah, I can't see them winning it. Yeah. I, I, again, very enjoyable movie, well done, you know, interested me because of the sports angle, you know, with it and I think you're gonna. I have a feeling you're going six for six here. Uh, well, that's five for five right there, actually. No, that's five. That, that, I think it goes six for six. Yeah, yeah, and let's let's just have fun. Let's have fun with one thing here. Okay. Uh, best best uh, costume design. Let's go. Well, that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any of those movies except one of them. Let's take a shot with it, right? Uh, Anonymous, uh, the artist, Hugo. Jane Eyre and W. E. Madonna's movie, Jim. Maybe the maybe the the Madonna okay. groundswell might get her an Oscar right here. Okay, I tell you what I'm going to do. Yeah, I've only seen one of them. Uh huh. The artist. So I'm not going to pick the artist. Okay. Even I'm. You know, we're having might fun be, with this, right? Might, yeah, yeah. Might I'm going to go with Hugo. Okay. 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 Go with Hugo. Hugo for costume design. So yep. that, uh, I like it. Because okay. it, it's either, you know, you know how the Oscars work, Jim. It's either going to be a tidal wave for one movie. Right. Or the tidal wave happens and they, 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 give, they give sort of a, a tip of the cap to other films by giving them a costume design type award. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So Hugo, that might be like Hugo's tip of the cap is what you're saying. Might be, yeah. I like be. it. Yeah. I like it. Where are you going to watch the Oscars? Uh, here at home. Here at home? Yeah. You and Connie? Yeah, we got another couple coming over. Oh. Yeah, we always do. We do it every year with them. Is that right? We make our picks and then figure out, you know, to see who wins. You have a pool? You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we pick, and we, we even go more than, you know, these top six or seven. You know, we get into some of the other Yeah, awards. you get into, like, art direction. Yeah, and then that's kind of a guess, you know. But hmm. You know, did you see this movie, Undefeated, that's nominated for a documentary? I had the coach and the director on before on the podcast. It's a, no. it, It's about football. It's about a high school football team. You'd love it. Right, it's it un- unbelievable about a high school football team in North Memphis, um, uh, and uh, some of the uh, young men on this football team come from some uh, horrible backgrounds and some horrible circumstances, and the way they play football and get together—you'd love it. You, I'm going I'm to see it. You should I'll see it. I've heard absolutely. about it. I've read about it. I'm going to go see it. It's great. Um, all right. Well, listen. Enjoy your enjoy your Oscar get together. Thanks, Rich. Say hi to Connie for me. I will. And, Good uh, talking to you. You got it. Feel good, and, I, and I'll speak to you again. Hopefully you go seven for seven here. I'll, I'm, I'm hoping to. You got it. That's none other than Jim Moore joining me here with his Oscar picks and his thoughts on uh, Peyton Manning's future as well as what went down at the Combine Pass for Peyton and Ryan Leaf, who blew him off. I never heard that story. Joining me here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Jim Moore Sr. predicting an artist tsunami. I have not seen that yet. Awards. It's awesome. It's awesome. I've been lacking this year big time on my my picture intake. I haven't I haven't seen a lot of these films that are nominated. I loved Midnight in Paris. Heard it's it a good. great it was movie. Good. It was good. I great liked it too. movie. Did you really see the enjoyed artist? it. I saw the artist, and it's just like what a lot of people think. Ah, oh, it's a silent movie. How right. am I going to see a silent movie? It is really good. And if it wins, I've got a no problem. I got no problems with it. Best movie though I saw this year. 
I'm serious. One of the best movies I saw this year, if not the best, 50-50. Did you see it? I have not seen Rogan, though. Oh, my goodness gracious. Really. I've, I've heard it was good. Tearjerker, right? Yes. Yeah. Really awesome. Really, really stupendous. Crazy, stupid love. Was that good? It was good. Well, that's your boy, Gosling. Well, I mean, I th- I like him, and I think he's very he's incredibly talented. Yeah. I really enjoyed that, and I know people accuse it of being a chick flick, but I I find Steve Carell hilarious. Mercy Tomei. Yes. Tomei. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I really liked Win Win with Paul Giamatti. Yes, that was good. Really yeah. that too. I, I don't think that was this year though. It was. Uh, I think it was a year before. It was, wasn't it? It was last summer. It okay. Was a, it was, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that too. Yeah, You're right. Movie. I really liked that too. Yeah. I'm a. I like Paul Giamatti. Me too. Moneyball was good. I'm Me not too. a fan of ten. I think ten Jonah Hill's going to win. No chance. No chance. It's Christopher Plummer. Uh, uh, Jim. Jim nailed that all the way from out there in Palm Desert. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever he is, all the way out there in the desert, he he nailed that. That's 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 a lock. He's getting it. Christopher Plummer mm. is getting it. It's. What do you think of the ten, ten movies now being nominated? I don't know. I. It's just they're trying to get um, more and more fans to be interested in yeah. it. You know and. But if you want to do that, they should throw Bridesmaids in there. Yeah, that was... You know what I mean? Like, get some real commercial films well, in Kristen there. Kristen Wiig got nominated for Best Original Screenplay right. for that. Right, right, so, right. Uh, I was surprised. Again, one of my favorite movies of the year, too, Ides of March. Right. I love that movie. Me, too. Ides of March. Where are you guys fighting all this time? Clooney. Man. Ides of March, man. I mean, Clooney directed it, um, and he wrote it with uh, Grant Heslov, who wrote Good Night and Good Luck as well. That's good. And which was super. Those guys make some good movies, and they write it very, really well and obviously act it. But Ides of March was great. I can't believe that got shut out of of uh, Best Picture. Yeah, that was sharp. Um, you ready for the Oscar party? I'm ready, Chris yeah. This is Brockman, while, you, while you're hobnobbing with the Hollywood elites, what, what all of it? us grunts sitting there at the Combine. <laughs> Okay. I'll tell you what. We will be we will be at an undisclosed location in Indianapolis as a group. It started um in I believe two thousand six. Yes. Two thousand six or two thousand seven. No, 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 it's two thousand seven where we've decided, you know, the Oscars were the same night as as the Sunday night. Right. At the Combine. So uh, at the Shula's Steakhouse, we got a television put in, in a room, and about 12 to 15 of us got together, some hors d'oeuvres, and put an Oscar pool together, and uh, Mariucci won it. Steve Mariucci won it, beating out, I believe, Dick Vermeil, who was just at the time. <laughs> he was with it. And Vermeil, oh, that was the year that Scorsese won for The Departed. Okay. Okay. Whatever year that was. And, and I remember Vermeil, uh, when Scorsese finally won his first Oscar for The de- for the Departed or The Departed, as you would say back in your Departed. The Departed. Uh, uh, Vermeil got choked up. That's amazing. <laughs> he, he, he started like, he was like, he deserved it. You know, like he, no. yeah, he teared up. It was great. We loved it. Everyone was just high-fiving. Mooch, uh, it, we, were, we were reveling into the night. Uh, with the Oscar uh, broadcast, which you know goes to darn near midnight, and um, Mooch, we have a picture of it somewhere. Someone's got a picture of it. Mooch picked up one of those small lamps that you know are on the table, 
Uh, he picked it up and gave a speech like he was. As, as yes, Oscar? yes, oh, correct. That's amazing. Correct. That's amazing. Well, I'm this sorry thing, I'm going to miss that. Well, this thing has since evolved is what I was essentially saying. This thing has since evolved into a much larger affair. I think last year we had about 40 entries. Somebody here gave in two. I won't mention his name. Gave in two. Oh. Which I think is weak. It's like make your picks, stick by it. Don't hedge your bets. Okay. Very weak. No, well, I mean, Are you know, you, have they, you ever won this pool? No, I haven't. Mariucci's won it twice. Mike Muriano beat me the one year I had a chance to win it. Um, Who uh, was best senior coordinating producer year? Mike Muriano um, won it, and we tied. So Scott Hansen broke the tie. Oh, no. He was the host of it, you know, and Scott lives for this stuff. Right. He was the host of it. Um, that he he went on his uh, his iPhone, got the top um, twenty movies on the AFI top one hundred movies okay. list of all time, and me and Miriano had to name as many of the top twenty as we could. Great tiebreaker, whoever came up with that. Okay, and I can't believe I lost it by one, but I did. I did. How many did you get out Hans- of twenty? Hanson came up with it. I forget what the final tally was, but mm. Miriano won it last year. Matt Pomeroy of NFL Research fame won it. And that's been somewhat in dispute. Went to a tiebreaker, too, right? I think so. I don't remember what the dispute was. I remember hearing about that. I was that. so wiped out last year. And and, and um, my mole, because everyone needs a mole on the inside. Because, I, I mean, who the heck knows about costume design and all that stuff, even though we mentioned Jim Mora, that um, he, he predicted a true grit tsunami last year. And you know how many of that, that, that movie won? Zero. Goose egg. I like so that. I, got, movie, I loved it too. I loved it too. So I got hosed. Pomeroy wins. M- Mariucci, he's got, talk about a mole. I mean, he's a flat out cheater. We'd say, I keep telling him he needs asterisks next to his his titles because he, he, did he, work in the Bay Area. he sees none of these. You talk about, what, do you have time? Do you have time? Do you have time? Mooch, Mooch is, he sees none of these movies. He's got his ear to the grindstone. Seriously. He, he, he's one of those people. He's one of those people. He wouldn't know. He wouldn't. I mean, he wouldn't know. The let's just put it this way: we shouldn't the put him Ryan, on the red carpet. The, the, <laughs> the Ryan's he knows are Matt and Rex, not Meg. Right. <laughs> All right. He has no idea. He's he's as culturally pop cultural clueless as ever. Coaches are. That's why Jim Mora Senior is an anomaly. Well, he's retired now. Coaches grew up on the lot. That's why he did. He grew up on the lot, but he he had it in his DNA. Yeah. I'll never forget this. At, at at the Pro Bowl one year, uh, when 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 a certain film was galloping all the way to the best picture as it did, uh, Mike Shanahan, I wrote about this in the book, no idea what Brokeback Mountain was. None. Clue. Less. No clue. Coaches don't know any of this stuff. Mooch is the worst of it all. He's won twice. And here's the worst part about it. He loves it. <laughs> He loves it. He is he so into it. Of course he What are you telling us? He called and left you some yes, ridiculous yes, yes. voicemail? Yes, Let's play this voicemail. Th- this because, is... because he, cause like I told you, the first year he grabbed a lamp, a small lamp off the table at Shula's and acted like that was the trophy. And every year he expects to win it. He wants to win it. He's really competitive. Like all coaches, a competitive son of a gun. And um, he wants to create a trophy apparently. That's how into this he is. And you'll hear it in his voice. Here, I'm going to play. This, this is no shtick. This is awful. This is, this no, is no, no, no shtick. This, yeah. this is a voicemail I got on my cell phone 
this very week. Hey, Rich, this is Mooch. Listen, <clears throat> question for you. Talk, call me. I want to talk to you. Um, I'm, I am putting together an awesome Oscar trophy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you see this. It's going to be good. But it's going to be a traveling trophy. So it's going to have an Oscar thing, NFL Network, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to have all the previous winners. And then it's, we will etch we'll into it, the winner each year. So I'm going back in time. I know I won it twice. Mariano's won it once. Pomeroy won it one year last year. One year was a no-show because it didn't jive with the schedule. Is there another person that won it? Can you brainstorm and think about because I think I won it in 05 and 06. I don't know. And then uh, Mariano won it once. And then maybe where somebody else. Was there Willie or was somebody else win that thing? Because i got to get it etched on this trophy. And then that way you see this. It's going to be freaking awesome. I'll bring it to the combine uh, when I get it. But I just want to have previous winners. Okay? Call me. Bye. Okay. Am I wrong? Wow. Here he is. I mean. Getting set to go to the combine. An analyst. He'll nail it. He's one of your hosts of Game Changers. Right? He knows it. He knows these kids inside and out, backwards and forwards. I called him to ask for permission to use this voicemail. <laughs> Where was he? Coming out of the trophy shop. <laughs> Fired up. You can't make this up. Fired up as much as he was the day he left the voicemail. And it was three, four days in between. I that can't had wait to have to made that guy that works at that trophy shop's day. I Coach Mariucci comes in trophy. and is making a... And it's going to be like, like you know, Stanley like, yeah, like it's going to travel. It's going to travel. Do you have to wear gloves when you? Uh, <laughs> I should You're do that. I should get white gloves. Get some white gloves. White gloves. And have Raymond Berry bring it into the room. There you go. <laughs> it is Indianapolis, nice. right? Nice. Here comes Raymond Berry. We should have a presentation. We sh- that would be great. Have Let everyone work on that. Look at this. Thiesman, come on. in. Let's get Thiesman. <laughs> have him come in with the trophy. Oh, stupidity. We'll have to post. We'll have to, we'll have to let everyone know who wins that next yep. week then. Well, and that's going to be a big Sunday, man. Make I want sure. updates. I want to – I mean, no, are you going to – Are you going to real-time it on your, this your Twitter account? probably going to be real-timed tweet. Take photos. Tweet, out. tweet out photos Don't and worry. do all that stuff. Not a Twitter amateur, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I always do wonder Fantastic. about the, the, the guy with – 300 followers who I don't have many. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but with 8,000 tweets. And it's like, I know, right? what's your, uh, what, are you, what are you up what to? Are you, what's going on? Yeah. What are you but, up to? Just remember, that's at, under, at Chris underscore Brockman. Brockman. And maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have the Eisen podcast site retweet all yeah, that we'll, stuff. We'll, we'll get, get that stuff, out there. Uh, yeah. We'll get that out there. Yep. Sunday night, you're going to be. Sunday night. I will be on the red carpet with, with Heinz Ward. Ward. And all of that you're, will you're, be you're, on. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yes, Chris. Law. You, let me tell you what. No, 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 no. I want to th- give, give your. I want to thank the Academy speech <laughs> yeah, again. No, come you on. like me. You I mean, really, really like me. Look, it's like the Sally Field of the podcast. I, 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 I was in Mobile while you guys were hamming it up at, at the, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. It's true. It's so true. what true. goes around comes around, boys. It's true. <laughs> that, that was a tough assignment to give away. To, to be like Brockman, you're going to hey, be man. back here. That's that, all right. That, that's, that's all right. But hey. you were, you were, you were, you you got tight with the academy in hey. the process. It's fine, I'm sure, great guy. By next, good year, man. next year, good man. next Thank year, next year, him and the next rest year of the academy. Go. Yeah, there'll be good times. Uh, all right, fun podcast, everybody. We will chat with you from Indianapolis. Lots uh, next week. We will have a couple of guests from Indianapolis. Also, Heinz's work, the best of his work, will be on next week's podcast, television wise. Absolutely. And um, good we, times. We good don't times. skip a beat. We're right back the next week. Right too. back the next week. It doesn't stop. Thank you, sir. Good to see you, Chris Brockman. Good to see you, Chris Law, Rich Eisen, signing off.
Stay listening.